I used to work for toughest of bosses and I felt like they were the ones who taught you the tough lessons and I felt like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And now I'm realizing what doesn't kill you kills you. Welcome to Don't Break the Bank, Run It and Change It, our podcast for curious minds in the financial services industry. I'm Matthew O'Neill from VMware's Office of the CTO, and together with my co-host Brian Hayes from VMware's Global Industry Solutions team, we've both worked for over 30 years in banking and banking IT before we joined VMware. Today, we are in conversation with multi-industry CIO Basque Aya. From selling refrigerators and air conditioners as a young man in India, to leading the digital transformation at VMware and Dell Technologies simultaneously, Basque has done it all. Divisional CIO at GlaxoSmithKline, Group CIO at Honeywell, SVP of Business Operations and CIO of Juniper Networks. The list is long. Basque now leads VMware's global industry solutions team. We're very pleased to talk with him today and to tap his expertise on all things digital. He tells us why every CIO needs to focus on operations before strategy, why nobody wants disruption, and apparently where to find the best tea in the world. So Basque, welcome. Can you please give us a quick description of your current role? Yes, till recently I was a CIO and the Chief Digital Officer for VMware, and I'm, now I have an exciting role beginning this year. I'm also the vertical leader for VMware, which is, you know, we have an opportunity to spend time with financial services, healthcare, retail, et cetera, and help customers digitize. So this is going from a back office operator to a CIO to a chief digital officer for VMware to now front-facing and customer-facing. Hey, so some interesting background noises for you. Where, uh, where in the world are we talking to you from today? Well, I am actually in India my father, who's 88, had a health situation, and I had to fly in from California last week here, straight into critical care. So the background noises you're hearing are probably ambulances and other strange noises you hear here in critical care. I'm trying my best to hide them, but, you know, this is reality of working remotely and working everywhere. We hope your father has a speedy recovery. He's doing well. He's a tough guy. So uh, he's promised me a scotch uh, pretty soon. So uh, I'm, I'm going to hold him up for it. And Matthew and I have both spent a lot of time in India, a delightful place. It was just interesting to hear the familiar sounds of tuk-tuks and various other, you know, mopeds running past you. It just it took me straight back to you know to being in Mumbai or, or Chennai or Pune. Can you tell your friends back in England, can you tell your friends back in England, there's only one way to drink tea? There's only one, <laughs> there's only one place you get tea. It's, it's Darjeeling, it's Assam. There's only, and there's only one plant in Cherpunji that makes tea and everything else is just leaf. Can you please educate your friends that you know, there's a proper way to drink tea, please? I'll take that on board and, and we'll talk about cricket at some point. I don't doubt too. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> now you're going to go down. No, no, I know, I know, I know. I've opened up for a can of whoopee there. <laughs> Basque, now we're heading into the deep dive segment of our conversation. Ben and I did a real deep dive. All right, uh, let's get into it. We'll find out everything there is to know. So, Brass, you're in this really fantastic position to talk to a lot of our clients at senior levels and our clients. What are your what are your observations on the main differences between 
a tech CIO in the roles that you've played versus a banking CIO now? Yeah, I mean, we've always had this debate on CIOs on should a CIO be technical? Should a CIO be business oriented? You know, what should be the specialization? And we struggle, you know, in our societies with the fact that we have to do both, right? So most of us, you know, initially, when I started my career, the CIO was the head engineer, the top technologist, uh, the head geek, if you will. And the person did not have the business skills or the ability to communicate, collaborate, etc. And then so we took a complete different switch to highly communicative and business-oriented CIO, but with no technology skills. And what is happening now, if you want to do a digital transformation, you need both. You know, you need to you need to understand technology. It's way complicated, and it's changing on a on a daily basis. So if you don't have a passion and interest for technology, you just won't be able to do it. And you need business skills, and you need communication skills, and you need leadership skills. So the tech CIO, the difference is, uh, you know, you will get caught out if you are not good with your technology. I mean, I, I'm working for people like Michael Dell and Pat Gelsinger. And Pat Gelsinger, you know, currently the CEO of Intel, but our CEO for the longest time, worked on the 486 chip and design. So you, you, when I was running things like IoT, edge computing, et cetera, et cetera, he would get into real time, details of real time and so on. You know, you cannot out-tech Pat. And so as a CIO, if you cannot have a conversation, a point of view, you will be out of your league. So one thing to be a tech CIO is you should be comfortable in not being the smartest person in the room, but still be confident to do your job, right? You know, everybody's a CIO in VMware, as you know, and everybody's a CIO in Dell because they do understand technology. And so they have a point of view. And I had to tell him every once in a while that, you know, in a music shop, the guy who runs a music shop could probably play every instrument, the piano, the banjo, the guitar, et cetera. But that doesn't make him Eric Clapton. And uh, I do this for a living as a CIO. So I'm the Eric Clapton when it comes to the CIOs within VMware. So thinking about an FS CIO then, you know, there's a ton of pressure comes from the from the regulatory perspective. And as well as a lot of the the kind of the run the bank versus change the bank debate. And, you know, there's a lot of prior technology decisions. I think it's the smartest, no, sorry, that's the nicest way of saying it. There's a, there's a lot of history and legacy to kind of cart around. Now, I mean, that legacy is running the bank. So it's not something you can just switch off. But, you know, is that the case for a tech CIO as well? Yes, there's always legacy, right? I mean, when you, uh, even when I, when I joined Juniper Network, for example, in the interviews, people said, we have fabulous technology, we just need to build a team and we need to deliver more. But when you go in, sometimes the cobbler's children don't have shoes. So you need to build a network for Juniper Network for them to run the network, right? So, uh, you know, and, you know, VMware, we had to build a private cloud for VMware. We had to build a hybrid cloud for VMware to showcase that we can do it. So you still have to go through that process. Sometimes we lose the connection on the products we make are actually brilliant and it works. So one of my proudest things to do in VMware is was showcasing VMware on VMware. You know, we actually go to customers and talk about, you know, we run the world's largest hybrid cloud. So we don't just sell it, but here's how we run it. And we run Oracle, we run SAP, we run you know other systems, and then we burst capacity to AWS, et cetera. So there's practical applications we do. In financial services, you asked that question. I have not, what te- tend to happen in financial services and healthcare is people used to just hire people with financial services background. Because of what you mentioned, the regulatory pressures, the legacy, 
You need to know how the bank works. And so they used to just pretty much hunt people with years of financial services experience. The last few years, it's gone to the other thing where the CEOs do not want to get people with financial services experience because sometimes you become so dogmatic. You know so much about regulation. You know so much about legacy. You know so much about what cannot be done. And CISOs and CIOs are caught in the drug because they cannot look beyond the fact of what cannot be done. So it's interesting, the boards and the CEOs, most of the calls that even I would get to go, you know, work in a financial services kind of industry, and I'm honest with them. I tell them, you know, I have worked in almost every sector possible in my career, and the limited exposure I have is financial services, but that is exactly what they seem to want. So something has changed in financial services where they believe that digitization has to get to another level. And uh, yes, there's legacy. Yes, there's regulated pressures, et cetera. But, you know, I think it's it's ripe for out-of-the-box thinking. So that is important. The second thing is, you know, everybody says disruptive technologies, but the issue is nobody wants disruption, at least in financial services. But we didn't want disruption in VMware, even in tech, right? When Michael Dell bought EMC, he didn't come to me and say, we need to you just blow everything that there is and then create a completely modern new system. The first few things were, you know, we need to make sure our customers are transacting while we're going through this merger. They don't, they don't need to see our pain. So can you figure out some ways to make sure that the ERP system on this side and that, that side, while they are clunky till we put them all together properly, externally feels like a smooth system for a customer. Don't make them see the pain. So um, I think that that kind of legacy exists everywhere, but you need to take a crack at it. My belief is, since the legacy is so complex in financial services, people have just tried to kick the can further. And they have they tried to have other places where they can show results, whether it is collaborative technologies or some kind of branch automation, et cetera. And so, but you know, the guts of this, the financial services is still quite old. And, and I think it's time to come rip some of the band-aids off at the same time, not disrupting. So, which is going to take some different way of thinking. And that's why they're hunting for technology-based CIOs or CIOs who worked in, in the uh, tech companies to come and say, can we modernize? Can, but can we modernize fast? At the same time, you have to keep what is running, running. So I, I always tell folks that there's some sort of Maslow's law of hierarchy of needs when it comes to computers is if your network is not working and if you can't send emails, you don't want to really talk about digital transformation. That has to be fixed. Unfortunately, you know, that is that is a, that is a CIO's job is, you know, there is no time for interviews or podcasts if your basic operations is not working. So you've got to get that working. And, and one of the CIO friends told me that you never talk about strategy when your operations is not good. But if your operations is good, don't talk about operations. Because nobody wants to know that you're running 99.9999% uptime. Nobody wants to know. The question is, what about the remaining 0.0001%? You know, so that's a no-lose situation saying I'm running operation operating well, I'm keeping everything running, you know, I've not had any issues, we haven't had any fiduciary problems, you know, we have, haven't had any breaches. That also almost becomes stable state. But if you're not in that position, you know, I would strongly say get on top of operations quickly, but don't stay there because uh, then the pace of change is so fast that people would lose patience. Question for me, you, and I think you've sort of pointed out a couple of things that we're starting to see in terms of pace of change and transformation, and people used to talk about particularly people processing technology. 
But what we're seeing now and through the conversations, and in, in not only just that, you know, outside in across the financial services industry, but all industry, is the significance of people and culture and process to deliver that technology, to really drive that outcome to a customer, to our, you know, to colleagues, to create new products that are viable. What's your take on that? Yeah, I've made the mistakes. Even when I went to Dell, I made a mistake. You know, what I was asked to do was, you know, you had successes with digital transformation and VMware. Can we just cut and paste that in Dell, in the new Dell? And I tried desperately to do that for the first six months, and I was making no progress because I forgot that rule of people, process, culture, and then technology. I jumped into, let's just do the tech. We've done this before. Just cut and paste. It's not that difficult. And then what you realize is a lot of companies, and financial services is a good example of this, is we have not necessarily had the T in IT, right? The technology in IT had been ignored. It's been offshore sometimes, been outsourced, you know, and people who are, there are more program managers and project managers, et cetera. And it's been a long time since people have written code or install anything, any software on a system, being Unix administrators or whatever, network administrators. The people have gotten so far from technology. Now, you can get away with it for a period of time, but, you know, the tech is so fast these days that you need to have a passion and interest in that. And so what happens is, and I'm, in, in our customer, what we see is a lot of senior VPs, SVPs, et cetera, higher levels, and then the actual technology folks are buried like four or five levels below. And that's not going to work, right? In good companies, your, your IT now becomes your engineering. And if you look at, uh, you know, our engineers for the tech in VMware, they are kings. You know, they may be eight levels below vice president, but they will make more money than them. They are respected. You know, we have titles such as fellows and chief technology officers, et cetera. And we, you ought to honestly have to respect them. So I think it's come to a stage where in IT that you need to, Put the tea back in IT. You have to respect the technologists. You, you need to hire them. You know, you cannot be outsourced. You cannot contract it out. And you also cannot completely move it offshore. If your business is onshore and your customers are onshore, it cannot be that easily moved and packaged and sent over. So you can do a lot of things, uh, you know, in various places, obviously, but the business and, and the technology has to work together. So so that's the change that we had to do is, and, and all of you have heard about this telephone game, right? The kids play this very well. You start with a movie title with one person, and then they whisper to the next person, next person, and so on. By the time it reaches the 50th person, the movie title has changed so many times that it's nowhere close to where we started off with. This telephone game goes on in programming. So there's a VP or SVP, and the business tells what he or she wants, and then another SVP or VP in the IT takes that, and then there's an analyst, there's a... There's a designer, there's whatever, and then and then it's outsourced and then it's offshore. It goes to a, perhaps a systems integrator or somewhere else. And by the time the code is done and it comes back, it's not quite what they asked for. And the cycle goes on over and over and over again. Whereas, as you know, in, in Silicon Valley, the way we work is we get into the dojo. We get into the room with the business folks. And so you draw it on the wall. We have a few huddles. And at the end of the day, we've written version one. And then we iterate on version two. This modern application development is not just Kubernetes, right? People jump into, oh, he's talking about Kubernetes. He's talking about Agile. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about changing the culture and process so your business people are Agile. So I think it's important that in financial services and other businesses that the business becomes Agile, not just the IT. 
part. There's no point IT churning out code faster and faster and faster and then having a big gap with the business. So I think those are some, some of the things that needs to be changed in the process side. On the culture side, I think it starts with respect. What I find now is uh, when I started my career, I used to work for toughest of bosses and I felt like they were the ones who taught you the tough lessons. And I felt like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And now I'm realizing what doesn't kill you kills you, right? So <laughs> the millennials, and I'm, I shouldn't generalize, they're a different kind of people, but the next generation of smarter folks, they want to work for a good company. They want to work for a good person. So they wouldn't work for a lot of the bosses I work for. And so in order to change the culture, you know, your company should stand for something bigger than I want to make a ton of money. So the next aspect for IT and CIO leaders is just when I thought we figured it out, it seems to be, are you an empathetic leader? <laughs> are you compassionate? Do people love working for you? Do they consider you as a mentor? Are you inclusive? All these things now are becoming more and more important as well. That's fabulous. So so I actually had a question, Basque. I, I was going to say, you know, being sensitive that Brian now works for you. How would you describe your leadership style? <laughs> but actually, I think you've probably summed up everything that, that he would wish to know. No, I, 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 what I'm summarizing is what a good leader would do. I'm not summarizing what I would do. Oh, I'm there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, got it. <laughs> Come back to me in six months, Matthew. <laughs> I've ticked all the boxes, but I've ticked all the boxes, Basque. You're fine. Uh, exactly. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I'm still the... I learned a lot from my Honeywell bosses, man. That doesn't change. I'm just telling you what a good CIO would do. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean this is what I'm going to do. So, look, jo- joking apart, so uh, we know um, you've talked before about bringing your same self to work that uh, that you do at, at the weekend or uh, or for your personal life. Can you tell us why that's um, important to you? Yeah, see, the authenticity part is since since so much changes. If you're not comfortable, if you don't bring your true self to work, it is too complicated to handle all that, right? It's very, very complicated to handle all that. And then the secondly, when I say leadership and these traits are important, if you don't bring your authentic self, people see through that pretty easily, right? And, and first of all, it's a lot of pressure on ourselves. And I mean it not just for, it means for all leaders is just bring your Saturday self. In fact, in VMware, we even tell people, you know, dress like how you dress on Saturday morning. I don't think HR knows how terribly addressed on Saturday mornings, but you know, we want we want you to come the way you are and be yourself. And the advantage you have is it's such a relief off your shoulders that I'm not trying to be somebody else. And uh, then I make a lot of mistakes. And but if you're authentic and make mistakes, then people just say that's him because nobody's expecting the leaders to be perfect. So I found a big, you know, a lot of things I've said and a lot of things I've done, I should have been fired from a lot of companies. But since you bring your authentic self, your people are able to look beyond your defects and get to the essence of who you are. They give you that benefit of doubt if you're, if you're really authentic and bring that. So um, what you got me thinking about, actually, is that I think that perhaps comes back very much to that culture difference that we talked about earlier. Because I think, um, yes, the bringing your, bringing your whole self to work, I think a lot of folks talk about it but they haven't articulated it quite in the same way you have. But also that thing about take a risk, it's okay to make a mistake, be continuously learning, all of those things. Again, you know, when you're working in a heavily, highly regulated industry, 
where perhaps the culture isn't quite there as supportive of you know that thing about doing the right things versus doing things right. There's kind of that difference. So with that in mind, you know, how would you encourage our colleagues and and anyone then really to approach their customer or this you know this CIO or or whatever and kind of be able to put that that forward being a supplier or outside of the corporate culture if you like this is what i coach people is even if our customers or a ceo or a cio or a cxo says we want disruptive disruptive innovation we want disruptive digital transformation i tell them be careful nobody wants disruption now, none of our customers, the reason they, they choose our products, it, it runs, right? It runs all the time. Nobody likes disruption. What they perhaps mean is we cannot keep saying the same excuses on why things cannot be changed. We need to be out of the box. We need to be bold. We need to take some risks. And you need to, we say fail fast. You know, we don't really want failures. We don't want really a lot of failures. I mean, very few organizations... Well, Silicon Valley tolerates failures a little bit, lot more than uh, other companies do, but really nobody wants a lot of failures. But there are certain things that helps us failing very quickly. And, and uh, I've used, uh, I've learned from uh, a good friend of mine, Alberto, who used to talk design school in Stanford, and he were ex-Googler. And he comes and advises us and helps us. And he's written a book on, you know, building the right IT. And uh, he has a con- he has several concepts on innovation. One of the things that struck with me is the thing, this thing called prototyping. And I encourage people to do it. And what pretotyping is, taking some risk without very quickly, you know, without really building anything and spending money. And I'll give you an example. I did a pretotype for VMware, and you may not know about this. As uh, I took, you know, all of us have this security badge, right? The, the name employee badge to enter buildings. And I, I don't know why we use them. I've used them for 30 years in every company I work, you know, and we blindly put it on in the building doors and they open and we go in. And uh, I always wondered, you know, why, you know, my iPhone, when I look at it, or my computers, when I look at it, it knows it's me. Why doesn't the door just open like they, they do in Star Trek? Why do I have to put this badge there? And if I'm not allowed to enter, you know, just say not allowed to enter or just keep the door closed. Simple things like that. So, but can you really justify an app to write this? And, you know, what would my CEO say, you know, focus on? SAP and ERP and real businesses and don't waste your pretty time on pretty face on all these things, you know, so you don't know. So um, the normal thing is to do a prototype, write an app and make the app open the doors, et cetera. But the prototype would be, I just put the badge, you know, inside my phone carrying case. So it's right behind my phone. That's where it was. And then for a week or so, I just started putting my phone on the badge reader and opened those. Would you believe that about 10, 15 people stopped and asked me and said, can I have the app? <laughs> they just, including, I'm not going to say who, including probably the senior most person in the company who's not here with us anymore. He's in another company. He wanted that app, <laughs> you know, and I refused to give it to him. And I said, no, I'm just testing. I'm just testing. Sorry, it's not ready. It's not tested. It's not past the security audit. It's not in the app store. So I went on and on to the fact that they were actually annoyed by and they, they actually tried, tried to go around me to the help desk or to the guys who work for me and said, hey, can you give me the app that Bass has? You know, even if it's beta, I'm okay with that. So I quickly, you know, here's a way of quickly knowing, oh, this could be an app that is solves a, a big itch for people. So I would encourage people to take those kind of quick risks, quick chances. And, and for that, though, you need to hire creative people. I think creativity is uh, sometimes 
not respected in businesses, unless you're in marketing or, or other places that ask for it. I, I think you need a lot of creativity in IT. Uh, you need people who are dreaming up of the future. I call them, you know, we try to hire a smart but lazy person. A smart and lazy person, if you hire them to run a data center, is going to do backup once. Second time, he or she is going to write a program to do backups. And then same thing on VMware, just use VRLize, other software, just automate the heck out of it, right? So that's the kind of people you want to get. And, and then the smart and lazy, and, and then you need dreamers. And, you know, so uh, unfortunately, from as soon as we got into schools, engineering schools especially, we were asked to stop dreaming. You know, I think the world now needs a lot of dreamers. We need a lot of dreamers to dream about what the future, what would the future look like? If I, I, I often think of if Google got into this, what would they do? If Amazon got into this, what would they do? Just as a thought exercise. And uh, then then all your fears about, well, it's really reg- regulatory, this cannot, all that goes away. And you can, you can play a lot of thought experiments like that. And then that's one way to introduce innovation without introducing a lot of risks. Bask, we're going to switch gears now and we're going to have you make some predictions that may or may not become scarily accurate. I see the future. Really? Well, what do you have, a crystal ball? What's going to happen? Listen, if you know something, you got to tell me. Bask, on that topic in terms of innovation and looking forward, for you, what is the, what's out there as a trend that you think is really nothing more than talk? that's not really going to get traction? And then what's out there that you think is really going to be applicable to the financial services industry? Yeah, I, I think it's one and the same for me in a way. I mean, I, I don't think this is all just talk. Blockchain, right? A lot of talk. The thing we know about blockchain is it's a solution waiting for a problem. The solution, absolutely, tech works extremely well. And, you know, I've... Crypto, people immediately go into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. You got to forget people are, have opinions. And I don't have an opinion one way or the other on cryptocurrency, but the technology behind cryptocurrency absolutely works, right? And the distributed ledger absolutely works. So I think what, to me, it feels like what is missing is not technology there. Technology arrived 10 years, five years too soon. And you know, even VMware has the tech for that. But what is the application? So we need some dreamers in financial services to say, why are we struggling with maintaining ledgers and data and you know, establishing this trust, et cetera? So I think that to me didn't quite answer your question that, that I feel like the technology's arrived, but a lot of hype is being made about it. And there are very, very few people thinking about the use cases. And it's just going to require some people who are creative enough to say, trust the tech, don't worry about learn. Don't worry about inventing or writing the tech. You know, we people like us have already written it for you. What is the use case? How would I apply this if I had this tech? So that's one. The the big thing for financial services again, I believe, is uh, there's several of them I see, and, I, and I'm not a financial services expert, so I may be dead right or dead wrong. So let me just go with that. I, I'm on a you know board of a fintech company, and the way the fintech, the small companies look, are just amazingly different than how a traditional bank looks. So one of the things I actually recommend our clients is uh, is to spend a little bit of time or be like a angel investor or get on some advisories of these companies, et cetera, because their learning is just incredible that they, they're dreaming up the impossible things and, and doing it incredibly well. But I think edge computing was hyped up a few years ago. 
I think it's time is coming right now for branches. And people have to look at branch automation in a thoughtful way, right? I mean, so, because the branches have to function, even, even if the cloud is not functioning, the speed has to be there. It has to be in remote places, especially places like where I am right now. You can't shut it down just because the cloud is not available or internet is, you know, access is bad. So I think the edge computing application is, uh, is uh, really here to stay. And we just have to explore that a lot more with banks. And then work 2.0 is going to revolutionize a lot of banks. You know, I, I, I know some of our clients, the number one thing is to reduce cost for them. And they're trying to move geographies. They're trying to move people to other locations, et cetera, in a dramatic effort to cut costs. And one thing obviously looking right now is I'm able to work from a hospital right now and pretty much have my one-on-one meeting, video conferencing, meeting customers, et cetera, in the other part of the world. So this is a good time to creatively look at all these uh, you know, workplace automation solutions, making it easy for employees to work from home and providing that kind of experiences without spending all this money on real estate and branding and other kind of things that we did before. You know, there's the promise of a technology versus what actually is is there to, to be there. And five years later, there's some very good use cases for blockchain now, but it hasn't fundamentally changed financial services. It, it hasn't. And somebody's going to figure it out, right? And then we'll be saying, why didn't I think about this? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to try and add a lightning round. We've got a big list of questions we want to try and ask you. Let's see how many we can get through. You can answer or pass. Uh, we usually call it the lightning round. Okay, welcome to the super awesome bonus lightning round. The lightning round begins now. Just to kind of set the scene, to set the tone, you know, what's your favorite book or movie? The movie is easy. It's Dumb and Dumber. And Dumber. Uh, I don't know why. I see it a hundred times. I still fall on the floor and laugh. It's embarrassing to my kids. The book, the book I'm reading, it's completely different. I'm reading a book called uh, Autobiography of a Himalayan Monk. is a, is a book I'm reading, and uh, it's part science fiction. It's part, it's very spiritual, but you know, it's also very philosophical. I think the COVID time has made a lot of us reflect on what is really important. So this book is pretty healing for me. What would you be doing if you didn't work in IT? I would be plob- I mean, I think of myself as a super cricketer. I still believe that, you know, my dad forced me to go into school and screwed up my chances of being the top cricketer. But there's not one day that doesn't go by. I thank him for not making me go through that journey. But, you know, in my mind, I always believe, like, you know, I could do better than most of the guys who are playing right now. Who do you most admire? Tough to find heroes these days, right? So you have to go back in history. I didn't used to really admire Mother Teresa. I didn't really understand. But now I'm watching the amount of missionary churches and things they've done. The fact that she could go and hug the destitute, the poor, and so on, it, it takes something else. I, I think she's probably the one I admire the most is, is this pure compassion that you can have for people that you know we would not uh, generally give a second look. Binary question, cat or dog? Dogs, of course. Cats are evil. Okay, moving on. Morning or evening? Early morning, yeah, morning guy. Um, and this might, I might know the answer to this one already. Yep, tea or coffee? It's not Earl Grey. It's it's chai. It's Darjeeling chai. <laughs> <laughs> so contentious. Still or sparkling? Still. In the modern world, email, a message, I guess WhatsApp or phone. I think Zoom is what we do these days. So it's neither. I mean, phone or Zoom is where I go. 
Favorite gadget or piece of technology? So I'm, I'm a guitar guy. So it's uh, something I've had called Pod XT. It's something that you can plug your guitar to an amp and then you can get whatever tones you want. You know, you can sound like a Santana or a Clapton or whatever, and you don't have to be really good at it. So it's a good way to fake good guitar playing. What are you most excited for about the future for financial services or technology, given we cover both on this podcast? Yeah, I think financial services, I, I've been thinking about the branch uh, somehow. We know that uh, people have automated the branch so much that none of us go to the branch. We're using just a mobile phone. And uh, and then I'm thinking, you know, you need to go to the branch. Otherwise, the brand of the bank uh, disappears. So my kids are probably going to, if, they, if uh, one bank has a better mobile app, they're probably going to switch banks. So I'm thinking that it's an old-fashioned way of how do you bring the, bring the branches back, the customers back to the branches? You know, do you set up a Starbucks come library, come MTO, or, or some, some reason for people to come in addition rather than just coming and doing transactions? Um, I have to apologize now because my dog has decided to go. Uh, the dogs are okay. You know, for a while, I, also, I, I, was, I also had real estate. I was running real estate for all of VMware, and... Uh, First day in Palo Alto, somebody came and said something like, uh, why do we allow dogs on campus and not cats or something like that? Somebody asked a question and I, I didn't know why she was asking me the question. I, I didn't even know it, I was in charge of that, right? I, I, I was hired as a CIO and I didn't know I was in charge of real estate. And by the way, real estate has the dog or cat policy. I had no idea. So I just looked at her and said, I don't like cats. That's why we have dogs. And I walked away and People are stunned. And then I said, you know, then somebody said, that's actually a smart answer because then people say, what about snakes and what about hamsters? And you would be sitting there answering all these questions. So, and luckily for me, she didn't come back. I mean, she could have really gotten offended and come back. So, Basque, comfort food. What's your comfort food? Uh, pizza and beer. Oh, okay. I find a lot of comfort in both of those. Yeah. Edge or cloud? I think it's edge. Cloud is so boring. Edge is things are happening in real time. So, I'm more of an edge person. What's one thing that we can steal from you as a great idea? I think uh, not over planning your career and, you know, kind of taking the challenges as they come. So one of, one of the ways I looked at it is do a good job of what you're doing right now and then think about the next step, but don't, not the other way around. Don't think about the next step and ignore the current job. What piece of career advice do you wish you could have given to your younger self? Don't swear a lot and uh, don't be so impatient. I think I went too fast. I should have gone a little slower to go faster. I probably went a little too fast, rubbed people the wrong way and so on. It was, uh, that's the one I would give. Go a little slower to go fast. Oh, that's, that's great. I do have one final question. Uh, what will you be talking to Brian about after this podcast? I mean, the question number 18. <laughs> Who, who's, who's Matthew? <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. Use some brains. What the hell is wrong with you? Although I'm compassionate, I'm not, I'm not that compassionate. What's wrong with you? Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fabulous. Uh, fabulous. Uh, thank you. Thank you so, so much for your time today. It's been, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to, um, to talk with you. Oh, my pleasure as well. Thank you for the opportunity. It took me some time off uh, the daily chores. So thank you. I had good fun. But you've been very honest and you've been very open, which is what we asked for. And I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. And I'm sure I can speak for Matthew as well, that he has enjoyed it as well, nearly as much as me. <laughs> no, my pleasure. My, my pleasure, team. To learn more about Basque and what he's working on, 
the best way is to follow him on Twitter at BaskIyer. That's B-A-S-K-I-Y-E-R. Or you can connect with him on his LinkedIn page, where he plans to post more blogs of the work he and his team are working on, along with a few case studies from customers too. We'll have links to this in our show notes. In the meantime, if we can help you in any way, please talk with your VMware account team or connect with us on LinkedIn. Just search for Brian Hayes or Matthew O'Neill at VMware. You can also follow me on Twitter at Matthew O-N or our podcast on Twitter at dbtbpod. You can also find our show notes at don'tbreakthebankpodcast.com. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you can join us again next time. Please do take care of yourself. <laughs>